0: Here we are in week three of Desert Springs Church, Not Gathered. As we've said, church, the meaning of the Greek word, means to gather together. And so what we're about to do is not really church, but we can worship, we can sing in our homes, we can respond to the preaching of God's word, and we can pray. In fact, I think if we could go back in time and perhaps talk to the Apostle Paul and explain to him what video is, what internet is, and let's pretend that he grasps that concept, I think that he would say there's no such thing as a video church or a virtual church. That we could do, well, some of the one another's of the New Testament, by distance, by one another's we mean verses that have the words one another or each other, verses like, serve one another, love each other, build one another up, encourage one another, confess your sins to each other, and forgive one another. Paul would say we could do some of that by distance, but not all of it. And the the sum that we do may not be to the depth or the breadth that God wants and that we see biblically. I also think, though, that if we could travel back in time and talk to the Apostle Paul, what would he say if Uh, we ran across a context in which the Roman government shut down church in a city. So let's pretend that Christians were not allowed, they were prohibited to meet by law, by pain of death. And let's say that the Christians indeed couldn't meet physically, they couldn't go out on on the streets and go from home to home. So they couldn't even do an underground church uh, like what China does today. I think Paul would say, use whatever tools you have at your disposal. I could envision us going back in time and and Paul saying to us, here's what I did. I found one or two scribes in that city and I gave them a letter or I gave them part of the, what we call the Old Testament. And I said, write a copy of that. Send it to this home where this family is gonna worship. Then write a second copy and send it to a second home, and then sit down and write a third copy and send it to a third home. And that's really what we're doing today. We're getting God's word out by using our modern day scribes, a technical director here at Desert Springs Church, and a director of video and graphics and design. So we'll do worship and singing and prayer in the next hour. While this is not ideal and and while it's not church, Uh, We as staff look forward as much as you do to a time when we'll meet again face-to-face here in this room and where our community groups will meet in their homes. For some of you watching, this may be the first service that you've ever truly listened to and responded to. Maybe you've been in church before, but your mind is kind of somewhere else. But in these times, maybe you're watching this and this is the first service your heart and mind are truly focused on. I pray that that's the case. For a Desert Springs Church, our family, uh, we want to ask you, are you part of a community group? We've had great, just wondrous reports of what community groups are doing. These are groups that usually meet in homes through the week. They've been using audio conferencing, video conferencing, chat, or messaging rooms to communicate and connect with one another. So if you're not part of a community group, this is the chance, the perfect time for you to become part of one. You say, well, how would I do that? Well, go on our church website, look at ministries, and click on that at the top, and then select community groups. Then you can click on a map, maybe see what groups are near you, not that that matters now, but it may matter in a few months, and then hit that back arrow, go back to the community group's main page, and then you'll see a person that you can email who can connect you with that community group leader, the one or two that are in your area. If you're in a group already, but you know some people that attend here that are not in groups, invite them to join your group as you guys meet uh, through these different venues uh, in a distance setting. Finally, I agree with those who say that when you're going through Major change or some kind of a crisis, there are three things to keep in mind. The first thing is communication. And the second thing is communication. And the third thing is communication. That's what it's all about these days. So, to that end, we've settled into a rhythm here at Desert Springs Church. We're actually in our second week or finished up our second week of three main pieces of communication. As the executive pastor, all email. Uh, our members and attenders with an email that comes out Tuesday, maybe Wednesday morning. Then Thursday, maybe Friday morning, Ryan, our preaching pastor, will email uh, a pastoral email to you. And then sometime during the week, you'll hear a podcast. Uh, You'll have a podcast you can link up to. Our second one will come out tomorrow, which is Monday. So that's something you could listen to for 15 or 20 minutes while you're cleaning house or taking a walk. As we start this service, as we start worship, please pray with me. Father, our hope is in something magnificent. Our hope is in the crucifixion. Our hope is in something that is also horrific. The crucifixion is horrific from a medical point of view, from a physical point of view. But God, we cannot imagine the pain that Jesus went through on a spiritual level as he died in our place, as he paid for our sins. But Father, we are thankful for the life that you give through the crucifixion and resurrection, something you call eternal life. Father, we are thankful that our hope is in nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness, his blood and righteousness. Thank you that Jesus is a solid rock that he is our stay, our hope, our anchor in times of darkness. Father, we pray that as we listen and watch this service, you would give us open minds and hearts. Father, for for some of us, this is the first service that we'll truly focus on and listen to with our mind and heart. For others, we've been listening for decades But Father, help all of us to know you have a message for each one of us and for all of us. Father, help us to hear with more than our ears. And Holy Spirit, help us to see with more than our eyes the death, the resurrection, and the coming glorious day of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Psalm 90 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O oh Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What an appropriate psalm for these days. And as we sing that psalm, let it help us remember that this life is but a vapor, and that our God is our ultimate help, hope, and
2: eternal home. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come Our shelter from the stormy blast And our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne Thy saints have dwelt secure Sufficient is thine arm and our defense is sure age to age age to age you have been 12. The hills in order stood, or earth received her frame. From everlasting now art God to endless years the same. are eternal
1: He is our hope our only hope in life and death let us declare that hope together
2: My hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but only lean on jesus name on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is seen the is sinking sand When darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace And every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand His oath, His covenant, His blood Support me in the raging flood When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. all other ground is shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone all to stand before the throne on oh, Christ the Son sing it out on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand what a friend we have in Jesus SINS AND GRIEFS TO BEAR WHAT A PRIVILEGE TO CARRY EVERYTHING TO GOD IN PRAYER OH WHAT PEACE WE OFTEN FORFEIT OH WHAT NEEDLESS PAIN WE BEAR oh, Because we do not care everything to God and pray. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged it to the lord in prayer can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share jesus knows our every weakness take it to the lord in prayer Are we weak and heavy laden Cumbered with a load of care Precious Savior, still our refuge Take it to the Lord in prayer Do thy friends despise, forsake thee Take it to the Lord in prayer In His arms He'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there In His arms In His arms He'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace
3: there
0: There are psalms in the book of psalms that are called lament psalms. Ryan mentioned these in his pastoral email this past week. These are psalms that, well, they talk about, from the psalmist's point of view and his experience, pain. They talk about loneliness. They talk about disorientation. And here's one interesting thing about these lament psalms. There are no lament psalms without praise elements. So to word that positively, every lament psalm, even if the psalmist doesn't feel like it, has a praise element where the psalmist focuses on God, his name, his character, what God has done, what God will do, who God is. So this reminds me of a book written by Brian Chappell years ago. The name of the book is Praying Backwards, and the thought of the book is, is that we usually give requests and then tack in Jesus' name on the end. And instead, the biblical model is that that should be flipped. We start with God, his name, and we praise him. And we we pause and dwell on that praise, and then we give a few requests. We see this in the Lord's prayer, in many of Paul's prayers. So let's do that now as we pray. Let's start with thanksgiving. And then end with a few requests. I'm gonna pray a prayer written in the 1600s, and I'll read most of it. Keep in mind, if you know your history, that the plague that went through Europe and England in the 1600s is, or was, 10 times worse than what we're experiencing, as bad as it is, the coronavirus that we are experiencing. So pray with me. Father, we thank you for the cross for the forgiveness found in the cross. Thank you that you have led me singing to the cross where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish. Thou hast given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white. And I go as a sinner to its waters, bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. O Lord forever, will thy free forgiveness live that was gained on the Mount of Blood. In the midst of a world of pain, it is a subject of praise in every place, a song on earth, an anthem in heaven. It's love and virtue knowing no end. Father, thank you for giving me, for giving us a longing for the world above where multitudes Sing the great song. For my soul was never created to love the dust of earth. Though here my spiritual state is frail and poor, I will go on singing Calvary's anthem. Father, thank you for the death, the resurrection, the life that Jesus gives and shares to those who turn to him and to him alone. And now, Father, we ask, Father, in this service, be our good shepherd to lead us into the green pastures of thy word, cause us to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Father, we pray you would give the medical providers and responders in our church and in this city um, wisdom, fill those in this church with peace so that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of their soul. Father, in a supernatural way, we pray you would give healing and protection to so many names we've seen via email. Father, we think of uh, a lady in our church whose daughter-in-law in in Texas has flu symptoms, uh, a high temperature, who has been tested a few days ago, uh, but no results back yet, and who is already in a severely, compromised medical state and has been for years. Father, we could multiply that request by dozens for people either in this church or people that we know. So Father, we pray your protection on them, healing for their bodies, that their minds and souls would trust in Jesus always during this trial. Jesus, your cross was upraised to be our refuge Your blood streamed forth to wash us clean. Your name is our property to save us. And your coming day is every day our hope. Thank you, Jesus, for that hope. Thank you, Father, for the cross, for the resurrection, for the coming return of Jesus. We pray, we long for, we meditate on, we revel in the name, the good name of Jesus. Amen. Let's
1: sing of the blessed assurance we have in Christ
2: Blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh what a foretaste Of glory divine Heir of salvation This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long Perfect salvation Nailed to a cross and dying All oh, that Three days of darkness Burst into light Blessed assurance He is alive Submission All is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed, maybe so, watching and waiting, looking up. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love.
3: Oh Father, what a sweet thing to be assured of your favor, your kindness, your grace, your love, on account of Jesus, our Savior. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word which speaks truth and gives promises, which invites us into your love and reconciliation with you. We thank you for your spirit at work in us to assure us and direct us and produce joy and faith in us, Lord. And we pray as we open your word that once again we'd be assured of your love that once again, your spirit would well up joy and faith within us. And once again, Lord, we would be filled with hope as we look to the coming of our Savior, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. As we continue our study through the book of First Thessalonians, this early letter from the Apostle Paul. So I invite you to turn there, maybe on your device or in your hard copy of the Bible, but I encourage you to, to engage with God's word with us together. Let's open God's word, let's look upon it, let's, let's give our attention to it, not to social media or other potential distractions. But like we meet together as a church, let us give our full attention to God's word. As you're turning to 1 Thessalonians 5, let me me ask if you consider yourself a prepared kind of person. Are, Are you pretty good at preparing for things? You might be tempted to think that there are only two kinds of people in this world those who prepare, and the rest of us who lean upon those who prepare. And there's probably some truth to that. But I'd suggest that it's more like shades of gray. Or perhaps we could say that we all have selective preparedness. Some of us look at the weather forecast in the morning and pick our clothes out accordingly. Others maybe don't. Some of us get the coffee maker all set the night before and perhaps even set the timer to go off before we, before we wake. Some students are the kind that have, well, their, their timelines, their, their due dates in mind throughout the semester and they're never surprised by an upcoming paper or test. And some thought that they had sufficiently prepared for a comfortable retirement until a few weeks ago. This whole coronavirus thing has made for an interesting thought experiment or test case on this matter of preparedness. Some of you have long ago stockpiled the canned goods in a cupboard and you just didn't know for what exactly you were stockpiling. But those same people may not have had one extra bottle of sanitizer in their well-loaded shelves. Some of us may have long prepared to shelter in place for months but couldn't possibly have known that you'd be called upon to function something like a homeschool mom or homeschool dad in these strange days. If we were asked, you know, to a person... Are you currently sufficiently prepared for this coronavirus crisis? I'm sure most of us would say something like, well, maybe. I hope so. I've done some things, but who really knows? We don't know what's next. We don't know what we'll need. And my point here is not to be an alarmist about the coronavirus. My point is actually to point our attention to a different event. An event still coming in the future, we don't know when, but it's absolutely certain to take place. It will be the world's most decisive fork in the road moment. Once it happens, there's no going back. It will affect everyone Not not a percentage less than 100%. And it will affect some for good, and some not good. It'll be the best day for some, but for the rest, it'll be the worst day ever. It sounds ominous, I know, but the good news is that you can prepare for it. In fact, it's something you must prepare for. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. It's the end of time as we know it. It's the end of this world and the start of a whole new world. Now, I'm certain that some hearing me say that are rolling their eyes. If you're not a Christian, this idea of the end of the world Or Jesus coming back, you you might just think, here we go. Christians and that Jesus is coming back shtick. You might think this is hardly the time to be talking about that. Well, if that's you, if you're a skeptic to the idea of the end of time, let me ask you about your view of history. Is it merely cyclical? just going around in circles. A hundred years ago, there was a pandemic. Here we are again. Or is your view of history that this thing's going somewhere? Yes, certain things do repeat themselves in some ways. Yes, we need to learn from history, of course. But the Bible's view of history is that this is a timeline. This is going somewhere. There's a God at the steering wheel. It's not pure chaos or happenstance. It's not just spinning. I wonder about your view of history. Will there be nothing at the end when the sun finally burns out and we just simply join the dinosaurs In nothingness? Or is there a God? A good God, but a just God. A good God who will in the end bring final justice to this broken world and who will bring perfect healing to people who humbly know that they need healing. Well, that's what we find in 1 Thessalonians 5. The first 11 verses. Let me read it for us. and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The theme of that final day or the return of Christ, is massively important to the Christian Bible. There are over 300 references in the New Testament to Jesus' return. It's massively important to this letter specifically, 1 Thessalonians. Let me just remind you, look back at chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. We'll pick up in the middle of verse 9. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Or chapter 2, look at verse 19. Remind yourself of this, where it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming Is it not you? Or in chapter 3, verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. And then there was a a longer section in chapter 4 which we looked at last week. And we see a long section again this week in the first 11 verses of chapter 5. But Paul's not done. Chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the return of Christ is not some secondary, optional thing within Christianity. It is Christianity. The Christ who came the first time is the Christ who is coming back again. So chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, let's get after it. Let's dig into it. There are four parts to our passage, and we could put our four headings in a bit of a run-on sentence. Don't be surprised on that day, instead stay awake till that day, for you have been and will be saved, and keep strengthening each other with all this until that day. So here's the first, don't be surprised on that day. That's what the first three verses are dealing with. By the way, this will be the longest of our four points because we need to establish the doctrines involved here once again. You see, verse 1 and 2, to start with, now concerning the times and the seasons, those two words, times and seasons, they're close synonyms in the Greek, and they're often put together, and together they refer to the end, the end of time, or perhaps the circumstances surrounding the end of time. It's what Paul refers to in verse 2 as the day of the Lord. That's the final day. That's the consummation. The day of the Lord is referenced many times in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Amos, Joel. It's usually described as a day of judgment in those passages. Like it is in Zephaniah 1. Listen to this. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord." Now other texts, especially in the New Testament, make clear that that day will simultaneously be a day of redemption for some, some to everlasting life, some to eternal destruction. It'll be a great divide of all humanity, a day of reckoning. Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 1 like this. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There's, there's the difference. There's the parting of the ways. What have we done with the gospel? What have we done with Jesus? Those who reject it, Paul goes on to say, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. But to those who have obeyed the gospel invitation to believe and trust, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Now back to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's the day that Paul has in mind described in Old Testament text, described in Second Thessalonians 1, that final day, that parting of the ways. And apparently the Thessalonians had a question about that day, a concern about the final day. And remember back in chapter 4, apparently they had a, a question or concern about the return of Christ in view of those saints who die before Christ returns. And Paul answers that question. And apparently the question or the concern in the background in chapter 5 has to do with when he comes back. When? Or perhaps they were asking, what are the signs that would precede it that might help us prepare for it? How do we know we'll be ready unless we know when it is? That's along the same lines as the disciples' question in Mark 13. When Jesus began to tell them about some things in the end, they said, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished. Well, you can read on for Jesus' answer to the disciples' question in Mark 13. But as for Paul, I think in anticipation of a similar question from the Thessalonians, he says in verse 1, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now why is that? Well, it's because of the nature of his return. How it happens. They don't need to know because verse 2, you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How do thieves work? How do thieves go about their business? Well they use surprise they come unexpectedly come when people aren't home or if they're really aggressive when people are asleep but thieves do not announce their arrival they do not make appointments with us for their burglaries no paul got this language of thief coming in the night from jesus in luke 12 jesus lays out this brief parable. If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, while people are saying there's peace and security, it's then that sudden destruction will come upon them. In the Roman world of the first century, peace and security were words of the Roman propaganda machine. Pax et securitas. That was the promise that Rome held out, but rather threateningly. You see, if you come under Roman rule, if you're a good boy or girl under Roman rule, it'll go well for you. Peace and security, but you better not mess with the peace and security of Rome. Well, Paul is offering a better peace and security than that of Rome. Or, or never mind the connection to Roman propaganda. In our own day, we know times and seasons... When we can easily be lulled into an assumption of safety and peace and predictability. Things go a certain way for us for even just a few years. And we think that's how it's going to go forever. This coronavirus thing serves us well as a severe disruption to an otherwise pretty predictable life for many of us. It's a reminder to us that this world and this life we have, it's not on cruise control down some sort of boulevard of bull markets. In fact, it's a virus that we can't even see with our bare eyes that is putting so much of our lives on hold. Well, again, there is coming an event that will be the consummate disruptor of our otherwise predictable lives. And so we should pay attention now. Christians shouldn't be surprised about the Lord in his return. You see that word surprise in verse 4? That's where he's getting to the point of the contrast in verses 1 through 3. You don't have to be surprised. Christians shouldn't be surprised about the Lord's return. Not because they know when it will happen. No one can know. They're not surprised because they know that it is coming whenever it comes. They're not surprised because they know They can't know when it comes. The world, however, doesn't know that. They don't want to hear that. They want to ignore that. Just head in the sand and just keep repeating after me, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, So two images now, two similes, like a thief in the night, as labor pains with a pregnant woman. Now, like all metaphors, these are are not representative of that thing in every way in with every part imaginable. We all know that analogies at some point always break down. And so the return of Christ isn't like a woman going into labor in that we have nine months to prepare for it. That's not the point. No, it means that the actual moment isn't known. I've seen my wife go into labor four times now. And when you're not scheduled for a C-section, which she wasn't in any of her deliveries, well, I, I know Every, every day, in, in, on either side of two weeks of a delivery date, you just don't know. I mean, you, you plan your everyday things, but those plans might go out the window at any moment when mm, something's happening. And once it begins, the rest is inevitable. The rest is unavoidable there's no backing out even though one person i know who will remain anonymous did in the midst of delivery say i don't want to do this anymore can we just go home it was my wife well that's that's what we can't say when the lord comes back we won't get out of it it's unavoidable it's an inevitable That's how he'll return. And you don't have to be surprised by that fact. You don't know when. We can't know when. And by the way, let's just get this clear. Anyone who thinks that they know when Jesus is coming back makes Jesus a liar. Because Jesus said, no man knows the hour. Jesus said, the master's coming back at a time you know not. And so those date setters that occasionally pop onto the scene, I remember as a kid, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. Well, he didn't come back. And guess what they wrote the next year? 89 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1989. They could have saved some time and just trusted what Jesus said here. But what Jesus says also confronts those What we might call proximity watchers like one website i found this week that provides a rapture index which rates 45 different things going on in the world at any given time to produce a daily index of how close the rapture is well i think the apostle paul would say you don't need a rapture index to not be surprised by the lord's return just know that it is sure and it will be sudden, and there's no predicting its timing. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now, secondly, stay awake until that day. That's what Paul is getting to in verses 4 and following. Stay awake until that day. You are not in darkness, verse 4, verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. We'll stop there for now, but notice in verses 4 to 8, there are multiple contrasts, just like we had the contrast in verses 1 to 3 of those who would be surprised and those who would be ready when Jesus comes. So now we have verse 4 and 5, darkness and light. And then verses 5 to 8, you see. There's night contrasted with day. In verses 6 and 7, the contrast is with sleep and those who are awake. Or verse 7 and 8, those who are drunk with those who are sober. They all communicate the same thing. They contrast two different kinds of people, one with a spiritual awareness, a spiritual perception of the things of God, and others who do not have that perception. They are not attuned to the things of God. You could just think through the physics involved in this imagery. In night, in darkness, you can't see. When you're asleep... You're out of it, some of us more than others. I fall asleep fast, and I am out of it once I'm asleep. I occasionally say something in the middle of the night. My wife thinks it's funny, but I have no control over it. I I could wish that I never, ever uh, got up and slept, walked. I don't know how to say that in the past tense, walked in my sleep. I could wish that I don't talk in my sleep, but I, I do. I can't help it. That's what it's like when you're asleep. And just like when someone drinks too much alcohol. They're drunk. They're in a stupor. They've lost control. They've lost some of their cognizance. But, but you flip all those. In the day, in the light, we see. And if we're not drunk, then we're Sober. Now, we're all born, spiritually speaking, we're born in the dark. In fact, the Bible uses other imagery. We're we're blind spiritually or even dead, dead. Christians are those who used to be like that. They used to be in the dark, but they have been illuminated by Jesus. They can take no credit for that. It's not that they've achieved enlightenment by their great learning. No, it's like the blind man who was healed by Jesus and said those famous words now, I once was blind, but now I see. Every Christian can testify to that, not on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus is the light, John 8 tells us. And Jesus says in John 12, those who believe in him become sons of the light. We used to be sons of darkness, but there's been this, by his grace, a transfer of kingdoms, a transfer of realms, a transfer of families. So Colossians 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Or Ephesians 5, 8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Well, that's what Paul is getting at with more words in First Thessalonians 5. And notice that classic distinction between indicatives and imperatives. Do you know about indicatives and imperatives? Indicatives describe what is. Imperatives tell us what should be. Indicatives in the Bible tell us what we are as Christians by grace. But the imperatives prescribe for us what now we should do and how we should live. One comes before the other necessarily, but it inevitably leads to the other necessarily. Imperatives don't come to us out of nowhere as raw commands, but they stand upon indicatives And they give strength and motivation to those imperatives. And notice here how the indicatives are stated just so emphatically, so baldly, so universally, at least for Christians. Verse 4, you are not in darkness. Categorical. Verse 5, you are all children of the day. Being a child of something is to be the representative of it, and representative of all that it means. We are children of the day; we're not in darkness. Verse five, uh, verse eight. Since we belong to the Lord, into the day. And then notice how the imperatives in these verses are so linked to, and they stand upon the indicatives. Verse 6, so then let us not sleep, let us keep awake and be sober. Or verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Now Paul isn't speaking here in merely physical and literal terms when he talks about drunkenness and sobriety, though of course the Bible elsewhere says drunkenness is wrong and being sober-minded is good. But here, these are part of an analogy. W- with light, with awakeness. Christians are people of the light, and so keep seeing. Christians are people of the day, so keep staying awake spiritually. And Christians are people who aren't sleepy, so, so don't give in to a spiritual stupor. Christians are not spiritually drunk instead we are we're to be alert and serious and self-controlled. And Paul is saying here live like what you already are. What you are is yours by grace. It's a gift, but now live that out consciously, repeatedly, routinely choose God's way, which is now your way, it's now who you are. That's how you wait for the day of the Lord. That's how you prepare for it. Not by knowing when it will happen and then getting ourselves ready for it at the very last minute. No, but precisely because you don't know when, be ready, stay ready live like what you already are live like those look at verse 8 this language here so beautiful live like those who have put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation this imagery of christians as soldiers and them wearing a kind of spiritual armor that's some favorite imagery for the apostle paul you can find it more in in, in ephesians 6 if you want to read there but it actually goes back to isaiah 59 there god is said to be putting on his armor in view of that final day of reckoning so listen to this isaiah 59 verse 17 he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet Of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul is using that divine language for Christians. Why? Because they are now so united to God in Christ Jesus that they have put on his armor. They will do his work. Christians have been readied and supplied already now for that final day of reckoning. And on that day, they will be on the Lord's side. So stay awake for the Lord's return because of who he made you to be. You're his children. You're of light. You're of the day. Stay awake for the Lord's return because of how he's already fitted you for battle. A breastplate covering the chest. A helmet covering the head. These are the most vital parts of the body and they are covered in God's armor. So we should feel secure, protected, prepared. And what covers us most vitally? Three words, faith, love, and hope. He says there's a breastplate of faith and love, and there's a helmet, which is the hope of salvation. If you've been with us in our study of 1 Thessalonians, you might remember from the beginning, Paul began chapter 1, verse 3, remembering their work of faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord. This is what we have put on. This is what we've been clothed with. And so Christian, I ask you, as I've been asking myself this week as I soak in this passage, what in your life is incongruous with who you are in Christ? What in your life just doesn't befit what you've been given and how you've been prepared for battle. What in your life, I ask myself, what is inconsistent with the Lord's return and me not knowing when it will happen? Don't be surprised on that day. Instead, stay awake until that day. Thirdly, for you have been and will be saved verses 9 and 10. God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Just like we saw last week where Paul took our end time hope all the way back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was chapter 4 verse 14. Well so now he does the same exact thing with Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Here's the foundation of our hope. It's what happened in Jesus' first coming. It's what happened in our salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And here we have the clearest, what we sometimes call around here, gospel nugget in the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians. I I talk about gospel nuggets as a Bible verse or two which has enough information about the gospel in it that someone could read that verse alone and be saved by it. Well, here we have perhaps the clearest. God has not destined us for wrath, which would otherwise be the case apart from His grace. That's what we were destined for. That's what is coming. If this isn't true of us, verse 9 and 10, that we've obtained salvation. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. More specifically, who died for us. And just notice the little words there. Died for us. In our place. We call this substitution. The righteous one died for the unrighteous ones that he might bring us to God. Or he who didn't know sin, he never sinned, he took on sin and bore the payment of sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. And that comes to us as a gift, but not a gift like someone just deposited in your bank account without you knowing. No, we must believe. Not just believe that it's true, but believe that it's true for us to put our hope in it. You can be saved today. You can, you can join Christians in not needing to fear the end of this world, the day of judgment, the day of God the Lord you don't have to be surprised when the Lord Jesus comes you don't have to be overtaken you can be ready you can be his child transferred from darkness to light joining other Christians in trying to live out this walk of light and life we pray you would You don't have to remain in darkness. And for the Christian, well, this is what we've come to put our hope and trust in. This is what's true of us. This is what we never get sick of that God has not destined us for wrath, He has given us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and more than that. So that, it goes on to say, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We might live with him. Now and still to come. We might live with him. We've been united to Christ even now. And he's coming for us one day. And so shall we ever Be with the Lord, as Paul put it in the previous chapter. It's deeply personal. I'm reminded of John Piper's book, the title, God is the Gospel where he reminds us there that the the goal of the gospel is not just our forgiveness, not just heaven as opposed to hell, but God himself is the gospel. He's the reward. He's what we get in the end. And heaven is the place where we get him one day with him. Don't be surprised on that day. Instead, stay awake till that day for you have been and will be finally saved on that final day. Until then, keep strengthening each other with all of this. Keep strengthening each other. That's verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul ends this section just as he ended the last section remember that from last week chapter 4 verse 18 therefore encourage one another with these words again encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing so in light of the return of christ and in light of who we are in christ in light of what we've been given with this great armor In light of this glorious gospel on account of Christ's death and salvation from wrath and restoration to him, in light of all that, encourage one another and build up one another. In fact, encourage one another and build each other up with these specific things. With reminders of the return of Christ. With reminders of who we are in Christ. With reminders of the armor we bear and the gospel we have and the Christ we get. This language reminds us here that we all need encouragement. We all do. Ongoing encouragement. This stuff isn't like math where once you get it, Then you got it, and that's that. You know two plus two equals four. You don't need to be moved by that. You don't even need to be reminded of that. You don't even need to be encouraged about that. Well, this is different stuff here. This is in math. We need encouragement. We need each other. This reminds us that God's plan for us is our building up, growing, strengthening We need each other to be built up. This language of one another, as Pastor Ron talked about earlier in this service, one another reminds us here that that the care for the saints in a local church is not done just by the professionals. It's not reserved for pastors. In fact, Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4 that Christ gave shepherds and teachers, people like me, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so that's you, if you're a member of Desert Springs Church. is what we're to do in normal seasons and in this season. Encourage one another, build each other up even as we can't be together. That we land here just like we did last week with the need to do what we can in these strange days. To reach out, to inquire, to write a letter. To encourage with what people are doing, as Paul does here. Just as you are doing I've been so encouraged in the last couple of weeks with sweet reports of saints in this church reaching out to brothers and sisters and having been reached out to. If you haven't been reached out to, you might feel a little funny about that right now. And I would just ask, is there a way you can sort of lean into this, reach out to someone yourself, it's a mutual exchange of reaching and encouraging and building up. And this is the body of Christ. As Ron said earlier, now would be a great time for you to connect with a community group even though they don't meet in a living room. But online, now you need it more than ever. And we're reminded here that we need more than just affirmation for when we do pretty well. We need more than just a kind of encouragement that cheers on, that pats on the back, that's warm. That's all good and needed. But we also need rock solid, hearty truth. Yea, doctrine. We need that spoken into our ears. We need that placed before our eyes. We, we need that in the preaching of God's word week to week. We need it in our own Bible intake as a family and as individuals. And we need it with each other. Encourage one another and build one another up. With things like this, Christ is coming again. You don't have to be surprised by it, but you should stay awake for it. And when he comes... It will be glorious. We can trust him for that. Oh Lord, we thank you again for your word and thank you for our time around it. We pray you would do what only you can do, that is speak to hearts in personal and specific ways. We pray, Lord, that you would build your church. We pray that with the great confidence of the promise that you said, Lord Jesus, you would build your church and the gates of hell Would not prevail against it.
1: Let us respond and encourage each other with this truth that our
2: King is coming back. We are strangers on our way to the city, God. He called out from dark to light, from fear and doubt, and he will lead his people. Home. We live, we move, and have our being, for he is strong. All things we give We work And we will sing Christ was cursed Stay awake, look for the
3: will indeed lead his people home. He will come again. He will make all things right. Until then, may we encourage each other. May we hold out hope to a world that wants to just say peace and security, peace and security. They're in blindness, they're in darkness, they can't see, they don't know, they're in a stupor, and we were like that once too. By God's grace, wholly undeserved, he has opened our eyes to see and transferred us from darkness to light. As the Lord gives opportunity in these strange days, may we hold out that hope of eternal life and a coming Savior to those around us. Second Thessalonians ends with this word. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all.